Tuesday, April 9th. Welcome to Market Forward. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Barker. Thanks for being here, guys. Hello there. Chris. We're going to talk coffee. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, a little bit about earnings season since it is officially kicked off. But we have to start. I, I, I want to go back, was it a week or two ago, when our colleague Alex Scherer was here? Yeah. And we were talking about JCPenney. And I asked him, you know, how long do you give Ron Johnson? And he said, I give him nine months as CEO. And Alex emailed me late yesterday to say, actually, I misspoke. What I meant was nine days. Nine because, days. yes, after 17 months as CEO, Ron Johnson is out at JCPenney. And uh, in one of those meet the no- new boss, same as the old boss situations, the new CEO is Mike Ullman, who is CEO before Ron Johnson. So um, we'll get to sort of the future of JCPenney and uh, the board of directors, such as they are. Um, but I guess it's no shock whatsoever that Ron Johnson is gone. No, and I mean, I guess there's a lot of low-hanging fruit here, so we could probably jump on the bandwagon and just go to town on this guy. But, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's no surprise. I mean, right, I think we all, we've been kicking around, kicking this around for a long time now. And so it, it turns out that Ron Johnson is not in, he's in fact not the Steve Jobs retail. Um we we were talking before taping, you know, thinking what kind of a hand was he dealt when he came into J.C. Penney, and I I agree with Bill. I think he was dealt a relatively mediocre hand, certainly a manageable one. Um, but I think that what he really did was he took this company off message. I mean, I think it became almost unidentifiable. I couldn't really understand what its target market was or what they were even trying to do. And furthermore, I think that he was really trying to take them out of of really what they've been known for doing so long and discounting, um, trying to maybe, I, I don't know if he's trying to class up the joint or what, but it obviously didn't take. And um, I think it's got to be really weird for Ullman to come back in because they're like, yeah, you were the problem, so we're kicking you out. But I mean, Ron came in here and really made a mess of things, so we need you to come back here and clean it up again. But I think it is clean upable though, and I think that really the key is uh, that, to me, I just think JCPenney needs to be thinking smaller. I think that's what they needed to do from the get-go, is think smaller. Well, and, you know, you read the reports, Bill, and Johnson was brought in. He's the guy from the, the retail stores at Apple. He's essentially given carte blanche. And by all accounts, he was trying to do all of these things at exactly the same time. He was trying to get away with their... Uh, deals, their everyday deals that they were doing, the the coupons and all that sort of thing, which it turns out customers actually loved. He, he was trying to bring in the store within a store concept that has, has gotten some success at Dick's Sporting Goods. He, you know, he was trying to do all these different things, but uh, all at once, apparently, didn't work out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, it's true. There were some big attempts, bold uh, efforts made. Uh, it wasn't going to just let the company languish, and let's. Face it, uh, we've talked about and heard more about uh, J.C. Penney in the last 18 months than yep. in the previous however many decades <laughs> any of us want to admit to uh, before. Because this this could, I mean, this is like at the, a Radio Shack level mm. of, you know, lack of interest, I think, for many people. Uh, just a, a, a company that, that you, if you thought about it, it would be, oh, I guess that's still around. I'm not entirely sure why, but they seem to still have a lot of stores open, so maybe people shop there. I don't know. Uh, he got rid of that problem, you know, <laughs> the people shopping there, but they've still got the stores, so you can bring Ullman back, and all he has to do is bring the company back to its level 
of previous uh, mediocrity, and he'll be a success. And shares will respond. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the the locations. They have eleven hundred locations, apparently. Yeah. And it's been no, that way for right, a while. They do, I mean, they're everywhere, yeah. right? You always go into a mall and you walk past J.C. Penney um, when you get out of your car because that's where the parking spaces are by the J.C. Penney side of the mall. Um, if you park, you know, at the other side, th- there are already people there, right? So <laughs> you you pass by it on your way to and from, and that's about as much as you see of it. I, I mean, I, that's obviously not entirely fair, but it, somewhat fair. I think it's somewhat fair. I think that's somewhat. You know, and to Jason's point, they they need to get smaller. But um, th- let's let's go back to the board of directors here because. They're the ones who brought in Ron Johnson. They're the ones who just dismissed him, and, and they brought back Ullman. And I was saying to our producer, Mac, before we were taping, I feel like this stock is just based on the actions of the board of directors is like nuclear waste. Like, you, like <laughs> I would not touch this stock if, if I were, you know, an institutional uh, manager. I would just, it, you know... It, if you're looking to invest in retail, there are so many other options. And just, the, again, the actions of the board alone make me want to go nowhere near this company. I think you're absolutely right. I think, uh, I, I mean, it, to the board's defense, at least somewhat, I think Ackman was probably, I think he spearheaded bringing Johnson in. He did. Actually, didn't he? So, I mean, it, I, there was obviously a self-serving interest there with Ackman and his stake in the company, which I think is still about 17 or 18 percent, although he could be selling off now as well. We know Roth did already. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you, you're back to your point of, of how many stores they have. I mean, 1,100 stores is just entirely too many for this presence. And I think really, like I would say, close the underperformers, but that seems rather redundant, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> But, they must have I, some that are doing well. well. Probably wow. so. And so I think the key is really they, the, what they have that, that is the most important thing they can do right now is to focus on protecting and reinvigorating that brand to some degree. And if they can, I think in all, in, by all sense of, of, of the, the term get smaller, close stores, shrink the stores, Try to stoke that sales per square foot. Get back to just what they did in the first place. Just being a, a retailer offering some, some decent deals for just your everyday consumer looking to get out there. I mean, they are trying to push those little, you know, new boutique brands like Joe Fresh in there. And there could be some success there. I don't know, but fashion is obviously very fickle. But I, I think they really just need to focus on streamlining the operation. They can exist. It just needs to be a lot smaller than it is today. To the extent there's a silver lining for Ron Johnson, uh, maybe it is the fact that shares of J.C. Penney dropped more than 10% this morning uh, you know, on the news of him leaving. So, you know, unlike Citigroup, when Vikram Pandit was shown the door and, and shares bumped up as a result of that. So, I, I don't know. It's a, it's at a new 52-week low at any point. Do you get interested in this stock? It's trading, I think, for somewhere in the range of $14 a share. Offhand, I would have thought that the silver lining for Johnson was all of the money that he pocketed during mm. his 18 months, you know, including <laughs> he, did he, in a did, few he months, sold all he? of the shares that he was given, I think, um, <clears throat> last year intelligently. Um, but that's, uh, that's kind of silver lining I need more of, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in my life. But, uh, I, I think, you know, next chapter he'll be, he'll be somewhere. He's, he's, he's still got a better, track record in business than than just what happened to jc penny and ullman comes back they get to say you know we're, we're back we, you know the old jc penny that you loved and that that will mean something to some millions of people out there 
uh, and and they'll be willing to give it a try. Yeah, it could be like that AIG apology sort of campaign. I mean, it could be the Jay Z Penny. Sorry for really we're screwing so up the brand, but we're, we're back, baby. We're back. I mean, there'll there'll be some image that they'll be able to conjure up yeah. for the right. people who have been staying away, who want to give J.C. Penny, the old J.C. Penny, you know, a chance. Uh, they have millions of customers from yep. you know years past, uh, not last year. <laughs> Uh, it was just a few months ago that the Benkiser Group in Germany acquired Caribou Coffee for $340 million. And at the time, guys, uh, Michael Tattersfield, the president and CEO of Caribou Coffee, said, and I'm quoting here, We anticipate the next chapter in Caribou's journey will be filled with tremendous opportunities to grow this great brand with new ownership. Of course, that was then, and this is now. Uh, now... Uh, the Ben Keyser Group is closing 15% of Caribou Coffee locations in the United States and taking another 20% and converting them into Pete's Coffee and Tea, which is also owned by Ben Keyser. Bill, we were talking uh, before the taping. My, at first blush, I saw this and I thought, well, this is, this is definitely a net plus for the likes of Duncan Brands and Starbucks, but the more I read about this, the more I think, you know what, this this may be the Ben Kieser Group doing a, a pretty smart job of managing their brands in the U.S. Yeah, no, I I agree, and will say that with a caveat that uh, I don't know the details of exactly where they're they're doing the transition transition, but uh, you know, on the coasts uh, at least, Pete's has a much stronger presence, and I think brand. Uh, awareness than than caribou ever managed to to get and my experience with caribou is having been in there uh nice decor uh nice place to sit you can sit uh you don't have to listen to anybody else uh talking there because there is nobody else there (laughs) and so you can spread out and it's very relaxing unlike you know the congested dunkin donuts and starbucks of the world right uh which seem to be you know have too many patrons in them to really settle down for a few hours so I think that Pete's, uh, there are a lot of locations where it, it makes sense to bring those into Pete's. And Caribou does have more success uh, probably in the locations, I guess, where there are more Caribou. Right. You know, Minnesota. Minnesota. Minnesota, Minnesota right. North Dakota, and that they, kind of thing. That appears to be what they're doing is really concentrating the uh, the brand presence of Caribou to the Midwest of the U.S. I mean, because you can't walk around Minneapolis without tripping over a Caribou or two. <laughs> I mean, it's they're everywhere. I don't know about Caribou in Minneapolis, but probably... How much time have you spent there? Um, no, well, you don't lot. know what you're talking no. about. <laughs> it's still a major metropolitan area. I don't think there are Caribou just roaming freely about That's Minneapolis. That's what's so cool about it. Really? Yeah. Just the... <laughs> I know that in density of caribou. I know that in the, the, in the, the DC area, location. we've we've got a, a deer overpopulation problem. But we uh, do. That's true. That's not, whole, not just DC though. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. Nobody um, wants to go into you know coffee. That's deer branded, though, do they? <laughs> no, no. no. Um, Jason, what do you think of this? Do you do you think that? Because um, uh, again, I I th- I think the more I look at this story, that uh, it means a little bit stiffer competition for the other coffee purveyors out there. Maybe. I mean, I, I do like that they're going to focus the store aspect of it more on the Pete's because I think that's really they, they're going to have more success there because Pete's is that premium label but I, I think we kind of go back to when we talked about this deal initially a few months back and it's not terribly surprising actually because I think what Ben Keyser's doing is the right thing they bought this you know, bought they bought caribou in order to really 
be able to take that, I think, into their consumer packaged goods segment. I mean, that's what they do. They have such a great distribution network in grocery stores really all over the world. And all sorts of brand names under that umbrella, like Woolite and Shoals and whatever else. But, I mean, they just have a great distribution network. And so I think that's where they're going to really focus on this Caribou brand, is getting it out in stores, is being another option there. I think that, you know, with the Starbucks's and Dunkin's and, and Caribou's and Pete's of the world, I think the ones that really have to look out, their days are numbered, are the Folgers and the Maxwell Houses and things like that. I think we're going to see a real sort of changing of the guard in the coffee aisles of the grocery stores over the next uh, decade or so. But but I think that's going to be the big strategy for Caribou here for Ben Keyser going forward is really focus on the grocery store side of things. Is that really the next play for any of these brands is really to it's definitely to st- get into the grocery stores? Starbucks and- is, is really going full throttle at this, along with their food initiative and buying that La Boulange. We talked about how crappy the food at Starbucks is, and I think they're really focusing on improving that offering with that La Boulange acquisition. But the other side of, of their strategy is really it's focusing on that channel development uh, grocery store consumer packaged goods segment. They see it as a real opportunity. That's why they, they broke off that agreement with Kraft so they could make maintain basic uh, you know sole control over that and and uh, they're having a lot of success with it so yeah I think you could you could count on seeing a lot of growth there not only in the bagged coffee but the k cups and everything else I mean we understand why when Starbucks put out their verismo I think everybody thought they would quit making k cups but really why would they I mean that's just incremental income for all those people who already have the, the Keurig machines out there, and, and like it or not, the Keurig machine is still a good one that works and so I think they're just taking advantage of every little avenue out there. It really seems, though, that Starbucks uh, is taking their time with the La Boulange. Yes. The acquisition was, I think, late spring of 2012. And not only is uh, am I not seeing anything showing up in my local Starbucks, I'm not seeing any news coming out of Starbucks in terms of a timeline to roll that out. It sounds like over the course of the coming six to eight months, and you know, I, recently Tom Gardner interviewed CFO Troy Alstead with Starbucks, and, and, and Troy recognized this is probably one of their biggest opportunities, and that's why they're taking their time with it. But we can, spec over, we can expect over the coming year to see this start rolling out into Starbucks stores uh, around the country. But yeah, it's, it's going to be a slow rollout. They're not going to be hasty because uh, they, cause they you know, want to get it right. I, I think it might be one of the most interesting stories uh, of Starbucks is how they have gone as far as they have over as long a period as they have without ever getting food right. Yep. <laughs> That's a good point. You know, I mean, it's remarkable that, that, and it, I'm there with you at least seven or eight times a day. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> roughly. Yeah. And so, I mean, and they're getting our business. If I'm not in this and, studio and or at my desk, chances are I'm at Starbucks with you. And and we're hungry man. a lot of the time, but, and you occasionally get food there. Um, and it's, it's just, you're the one who, yeah. who does that because they, they keep trying new things and they, they've outrageously successful company and someday they'll be even more successful when mm. they get food right. But if you could, if, if you were only allowed one of these establishments to go to for your food and coffee needs, the the food that you have with coffee kind of thing, for the rest of your life, where would it be? One of these establishments? Dunkin' Donuts, Panera, Starbucks. So we're talking decor, food, coffee, and price. So you're saying that Buffalo Wild Wings is out of the it's question. It's really not so much a coffee-focused business. But I could get coffee there. No. I mean, no. You, okay. You don't okay. get to go to Be Wild. For I, I mean, I mean, I think the easy answer for me would be Panera. I, I would go to Panera because their coffee is good and their food is is good, particularly the breakfast items and the bagels and stuff like that. So I'd, I'd say Panera. I would go with Dunkin' Donuts. I would go with that. That's because you're from Boston. <laughs> <or>. <laughs> 
But it, or Maine is Maine in Boston? I can't remember. Uh, it's just slightly north. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, I would go with with Duncan because of what they have what they have demonstrated. You know, it, it's the opposite what of about Starbucks. All what, the what cream they- and sugar they force into your coffee no, no, before no, you can stop black. No, no, no. You can you can take care of that. You gotta actively stop them from doing that. Though. That's right. Look, if look, we have a higher level of expectation of our customers. Uh, you know, in the Boston area, so you got to bring your A game if you're going into a Dunkin' Donuts in Boston. Um, uh, but seriously, to your point, as for as long as Starbucks has not gotten food right, that's how long Dunkin' Donuts has gotten food right. Mm. Now, t- I'm slightly tempted to say Starbucks only because I think that eventually they will, but they haven't at this point. So I- I'm I'm figuring on being on this planet for at least a couple more decades. I'm going Dunkin'. Yeah, I'd go with Panera too because uh, the food is is much better. There's a much uh, bigger selection there, and also you can help yourself. To as much coffee as you want yeah. while you're there. Like Starbucks, you got to keep going up and paying for a refill. See, I didn't realize that about Panera, and I'm not a Panera shareholder, but I would be. Ter- but if I were, I would be terrified to learn that about people like you who just mainline coffee all day. <laughs> um, uh, we touched on this yesterday, uh, but uh, Alcoa has reported uh, their first quarter uh, results: profits up 59 percent. Therefore. Uh, because it's Alcoa, earnings season has officially kicked off. Um, and again, we touched on this yesterday, but Bella, I am curious, um, to the extent that you sort of look, you know, you head into earnings season as someone who makes his living looking at stocks, is there an industry that you're watching this quarter? Is there a particular company that you're wa- curious to see how they perform? Uh, it seems like a lot of people are, uh, at least by all accounts uh, that you see in the media, are heading into this quarter with uh, a level of cautiousness. But w- what are you thinking as we head into this quarter? I, I guess the theme that I would look at, uh, and, and in our funds at Motley Fool Asset Management, where, uh, happens that we're slightly uh, more weighted toward consumer discretionary uh, holdings at the moment. Um, that's where we've found uh, more value in the past, but th- that could change as things, you know, as things change. But uh, for that s- uh, sector, I would say those companies domestically that in discussing their quarter start talking about the effect of uh, the tax changes um, the payroll tax and the, the delay in, in refunds. Um, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit more suspicious of them. That, that to me is going to be a, a true. Uh, there's real math behind that. Uh, the, the payroll tax does affect people's paychecks and the delay in some of the tax refunds is a real thing. But the companies that you don't hear anything about that from that are uh, not concerned with that are, are going to be the ones that I'm going to be more likely to want to buy and hold for a long time than the ones who who find that as an excuse for their numbers this quarter. I was going to say, it sounds like this is, you know, to, to borrow a term from poker, This it sounds like it's a little bit of a tell. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it, as you said, there's math behind it, but at the same time, it is also an indication of uh, the intestinal fortitude of management well and it's it's something that i think you better be factoring into your models for the future that is that taxes are not going to be going down is my estimate uh in the future that you know the payroll tax cut is not going to come back so you know if that's affecting you it's going to keep affecting you uh if you think uh, tax rates uh you know will go down in the future and that, that that's going to give consumers more money 
you know, where interest rates are, things are going to get tougher rather than easier uh, on, on interest rates and on taxes. So the companies that aren't having a problem yet may in the future that the companies that already are having problems because of that, I think they're the more vulnerable ones. Yet another headwind for J.C. Penney. <laughs> <laughs> Poor J.C. Penney. All right, Jason Moser, Bill Barker. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. To read more from Bill and his colleagues, you can go to foolfunds.com. And as always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Fooler. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.